0: Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Trisha Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, where we are conducting our after-hours open-mic session. Boom. Boom. My name is Lori Green. And I will be co-hosting today's episode with Trisha Rio. Hey, everybody. So happy to have you all here again. We happen to be in sunny Florida during one of our MSK ultrasound class weeks. And we are so fortunate to have with us today uh, Dr. John Jacobson and Dr. Jess Strakowski. They, of course, are leading ultrasound, MSK ultrasound experts. And uh, we are going to have a wonderful time today, but we'll just give you a brief introduction and then we will get started and take off with that.
2: All right, so we are here with Jeff Strakowski, who is currently the clinical professor at the Ohio State University School of Medicine, Department of PM&R, the Associate Director of Medical Education at Riverside Methodist Hospital, Department of PM&R, and the Director of Musculoskeletal Research at the McConnell Spine Sport and Joint Center. He's also the author of Ultrasound Evaluation of Peripheral Nerves and Focal Neuropathies. Welcome, Jeff. We're glad to
3: have you. Thanks. I really wanted to point out that... We started uh, after hours kind of early here. As you know, the so sun's still up, but uh, that's Gulf Coast Ultrasound.
1: Well, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and it's five o'clock here. And it's five o'clock here. It's <laughs> right. absolutely right. And Dr. Jacobson is the professor of radiology and section chief of musculoskeletal imaging at the University of Cincinnati. Go Bearcats. He also <laughs> is the author of Fundamentals of Musculoskeletal Ultrasound. Yay! Yay, so welcome. welcome! Thanks. How thanks, are Lori. you guys?
4: We are awesome. Great. Another day in paradise, looking out the window here. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely, yep. So we are going to be talking about a lot of things, MSK and uh, peripheral nerve ultrasound, and so why don't you guys get us started here. All right. So Jeff, well. how
3: are you doing? I'm I'm doing well, John. You're looking good. <laughs> you you as well. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, some, some of your, your interests, I guess. And most especially, I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about some of the, the biggest problems we have facing um, individuals doing ultrasound-guided procedures and the most common error you might be uh, encounter. Hmm. That's a very good question, Jeff. Uh, before I give my answer, <laughs> yes,
4: sir. I wanted to present you with a gift. I haven't seen no. you in about three months. So adjusting. Here you go. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry.
3: laughs>
4: what is this called? Uh MTD do We'll, we'll try it. I didn't shake it, by the way.
1: Uh, uh, up, up he's the Mountain Dew king. Yes, thank okay,
4: you. so uh, back to the question. So, a large part of musculoskeletal ultrasound is indeed guiding procedures. We can improve accuracy, uh, decrease any complications, and increase the efficacy of all the procedures. So, there's definitely a great reason to do it. So, you probably thought I was going to say the number one error is not seeing your needle. But I have a different answer. Are you ready? I am. You caught me off
3: guard, though. So as a
4: radiologist, I'm asked to inject things all over the body from a whole host of referring physicians. And it's amazing. The indications for the procedures aren't always clear. And the histories aren't always clear. And the background imaging isn't always clear. So before I go into any procedure, the first question I ask myself self, I say, what am I treating? If I don't know what the pathology is, how can I direct an effective treatment? So what I'll do is, of course, look for the MRI, look for the X-ray, perform a diagnostic ultrasound. Because if you don't know what you're treating, it doesn't matter where the needle's going. So you have to understand the pathology. So my answer is, we, we shouldn't walk into this thinking, I'm gonna guide my needle to X. The question should be, what is wrong with X? You know, what an anatomic structure. Then I will guide my needle with the appropriate treatment. What do you think about that, Jeff? I think it's
3: great. Do you find yourself in a position sometimes you have to contact the referring physician and, and say maybe we need to do things a little differently? Yes, even um, into that scenario. Yes,
4: sometimes it's a struggle as a radiologist because, well, of course, if you're in one institution for a number of years, uh, you develop a relationship with certain people, and then you come together with the thoughts of how can we move forward for the best care of their patients. Sometimes they're outside referring physicians who don't know me from. Anyone and you know, they may not even return my call. Then I'm like, well, what do I do? You know, I want to help the patient, but I'm not going to do something that's not indicated. So I would say it's a struggle and it just takes time. And then, then when I do contact the referring physician, I have to be very careful because some people get very defensive because I'm not questioning their intelligence. I'm saying, how can I help you take care of your patient best? So it's a, it's a discussion and it goes differently with different people. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Sure. That's true. I I, I run into the same thing when I get referred some, sometimes it's, I want to do things differently and end up having to discuss it with a patient.
4: So what do you do in that scenario when uh, there's a difference of opinion?
3: That's more of an art form, I guess. And some of the same things that you described, you have to know the referring person. You have to really kind of feel out what the patient themselves wants. They're they're ultimately, um, should be part of that decision, I think.
4: That's a great point. There are some situations where I'll say to the patient, your doctor ordered this, and I'll say, as a radiologist, I'm responsible for your care while you're in my clinic. I'm not comfortable doing this. I tried to contact your physician. We're working through it, but I don't feel comfortable moving forward. I will bring you into my clinic another time and do this at any time, but I'm looking out for you. And they, the patient understands. So that is that is a key point. Now, the one area where I'm most Critical about this discussion are steroid injections because steroids are thrown around. Well, steroids are used for a lot of reasons, and there's a lot of good for use of steroids, but there are a lot of dangers with steroids. Steroids can cause uh, cartilage damage, joint deterioration, and many times it's only temporary pain relief. So, especially steroids in, in the joint and younger people. Is it really indicated? So that's where I really take it quite seriously.
3: I've had the same issue, and you know, I'll have um, common tendon tendinopathies referred for steroid injections. They may have had two, three, four injections in the past, sometimes without any benefit. And they, they think, well, we'll do ultrasound guidance, and that's going to be the magic. And, um, you know, we call that sometimes a get-out-of-my-office treatment, where they feel good for a couple of months, but our, a lot of our literature is, is showing – you know, it's probably detrimental ultimately to be doing steroids for lateral epicondylitis, sometimes Achilles problems, patellar tendon problems. And, and, and then you run into the, the issue of, you know, some of the referring doctors haven't caught up to that. <laughs> so that, that gets to be a problem.
2: Yeah. How about for the just lay person, the patient who might be listening to this, at what, what kind of questions do they need to be asking to make sure that they're getting the most appropriate treatment? And at what point do they decide, okay, the steroids aren't helping
3: I think it's challenging because you have, you know, there's some indications for steroids if they're inflammatory, but most of the things we see in musculoskeletal medicine aren't inflammatory and and we're getting away from that and, and John you've as much as anybody I know have talked about trochanteric bursitis and how that gets completely overcalled for example you, you talk to anybody that has lateral hip pain and their doctor or three or four doctors have told them for years they have trochanteric bursitis and we know that's almost certainly not the case if it's if it is the case it's probably not even the problem and uh, and John more than anybody has pointed that out to people, and um, so so we run into having to change the mindset of patient and referring doctors, and it gets challenging. Yeah,
4: and uh, I, I agree with Jeff, uh, of course, and. Uh, is educating the patient. Like I'll tell the patient about the expectations. I'm injecting steroids over this tendon. And the risk of tendon rupture is low because I'm using ultrasound guidance and not injecting it into the tendon. But I'll tell them that this is masking the pain. You'll likely come back in six weeks. And just be aware that we're not treating the tendon problem. We're masking the pain, that you need physiotherapy. You may need uh, some other type of tendon treatment down the road. So it's education and also, expectations, setting realistic expectations with these frank discussions with the patient.
2: Yeah. Maybe a little transparency, right?
3: I think so. And, and you know, I, I, th- I think you can simplify those comments in just the way John mentioned, you know, explaining it. people understand I don't want to just massive the pain. I want this to get better. And, and the word's starting to get out on some of these regenerative techniques and some of the things you guys have been teaching all week here. So.
2: Yeah. And you actually covered this very topic in the lecture.
3: Yeah. And, you know, if you
4: notice, my answer was very basic, meaning we could go on to talk about regenerative medicine, all these experimental treatments. It all comes down to knowing the anatomy and knowing the pathology at a fundamental basis to determine the correct treatment. So even without going that far into regenerative, even just simple steroid injection, we need to know what we're treating.
1: And the value, would you say the value of using ultrasound guidance when performing procedures? Because I know a lot of patients don't realize, you know, the difference between doing a procedure with a landmark technique versus having an ultrasound. And depending upon what physician that they happen to go to for their treatment, they may not have ultrasound and therefore not be, you know, a proponent of that and, and give reasons why not to do that. and would, do you have any comments on that in terms of using ultrasound guidance versus not?
3: I think once the patients, you know, to, to answer that question, once they've seen it done with ultrasound guidance, you know, it, it generally takes longer, but they get the idea that, boy, this was, they put some effort into this, and they can see, they know it's in the right place, and it's understood, and they have an idea, and I, I think they really like it. Most of them don't want to go back right. after they experience that.
4: I've had many patients say, wow, that didn't hurt this time, or right. this did not feel like the last time. And we explain, well, we used ultrasound. I saw the needle go right where it's supposed to be. So I, I think eventually patients are going to request it, maybe not demand it, but say, how come I can't have ultrasound guidance? So I think that will be eventually the trend. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you for that intriguing question, Jeff. And, uh, I think we all contributed to some thoughtful answers, and hopefully, those who are listening uh, benefited from that discussion. So, uh, Jeff, I was thinking, would I, could I ask you a question? Certainly, um, just one though. One question. <laughs> I just asked you a question. Yes, yeah, that was it. I ask you <laughs> I another you oh, <laughs> right, You can ask me too. <laughs> That was the second one.
3: <laughs> sorry, we're out. We're out of, uh, out of options here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're here in, in sunny Florida teaching this course on musculoskeletal ultrasound. Now, there's this concept of neuromuscular ultrasound, and that might be a term that many people may not be familiar with. So I was wondering if you could compare and contrast and talk about these different terms and how you approach that?
3: Sure, and we'll start with the basis of that area of medicine. So, musculoskeletal medicine. We're generally talking about joints, tendons, muscles, bones, um, but also nerves. And there, there's crossover. Neuromuscular diseases tend to be things that cause weakness. It can be everything from a focal neuropathy, ALS. You know, systemic diseases, things like that. And and musculoskeletal medicine has made a. It, or muscular ultrasound has made um, a lot of leaps and bounds over the years. I'd, I'd say it's been really in most of our curriculums now for 15 years, would you say, somewhere in that length of time? Yeah, maybe it, a little more, but yeah. Maybe more than that, especially from your where you came from. So <laughs> You came from a hotbed of ultrasound, so... Um, Neuromuscular medicine a lot more new, but it has to do with um, neuromuscular type diseases. There's there's a lot of overlap. I'm primarily musculoskeletal trained initially, but um, there's a large group of people, particularly those that do electrodiagnosis and have traditionally done nerve and peripheral nerve assessments with EMG and nerve conductions. And if you're not familiar with that, that's where you you do most of your testing by st- shocking the nerve if you can use that term and also doing needle EMG so not as much fun as ultrasound Absolutely. and, and, and for the for, patient. yeah <laughs> and for years and years people have said to me you need to come up with a better way to do this one doesn't hurt so much and you know and and I think that's happening with neuromuscular ultrasound so it's it's really progressed in a way that um, I think you're, you're, you find where musculoskeletal medicine was maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it, that's kind of where neuromuscular med- ultrasound is, where a lot of people that do that are, are realizing they have to be part of that to, to stay current. So instead of, we recommend instead of just saying EMG nerve conductions now, we say EMG nerve conductions and ultrasound really ought to be all part of that assessment because you get the anatomic and physiologic assessment.
4: Yeah, so it's, you bring up a, a couple of great points. Uh, one thing is looking at the evolution of the equipment of ultrasound. Uh, and I remember starting out barely seeing peripheral nerves. And, of course, the more you look for things, the more you see them. But the equipment has really uh, helped with that. I know that you have been using some extremely high-frequency machines that may not be universally uh, – everywhere but it really can show the details and that's really uh the sky's the limit of eventually where we're going to go
3: i think so too and and just like you mentioned that level of resolution is is changing what we even know about some of these conditions even simple entrapments like carpal tunnel syndrome you're realizing they're not all idiopathic there's things that we can see um that cause them and we can define them in greater detail especially trauma trauma traumatized nerves and um, other kinds of nerve diseases so when we can actually see down to the level of fascicles and, and components of the nerve it really helps us same thing with muscle architecture and muscle diseases but that also helps even with you know fatty infiltration and musculoskeletal conditions and I think there's a, a pretty good overlap of these two types of disciplines and it's, it's regardless of the type of ultrasound you do if you know significant components of both that's you're going to be much more effective so
4: and you mentioned another important point about the ultrasound complementing EMG nerve conduction uh, because they work together, the physiologic and anatomic. The question is: There one indication in the extremity where you feel that adding ultrasound to the physiologic imma, uh, studying has made the biggest difference in your in the care of your patients?
3: That's that's a really good question. I think you know a couple of things. The... One thing is I've always had a problem when we have we do electrophysiology for an unusual entrapment, something that's not in a conventional entrapment. You always think, boy, it would be nice to image that and see what it really looks like, you know, and just make sure that just for ruling out a problem that you think's probably got a low yield, but you don't want to spend a lot of expense on assessing that either okay that's one thing the other more probably more importantly is when there's anatomic change like a post-surgical change so post-surgical carpal tunnel post-surgical ulnar neuropathy a, a radial fracture from you know from from a bone fracture some other issue where you don't have a good history you know developed a saturnite palsy without a really good history of that having developed and, and knowing you're not dealing with a mass or some other source of it it's just a great way to, to do that and see the anatomic change you know what's been done you know, we we can see that the problem's there, but ultrasound gives you the, the basis or why it's there.
4: Very good. So the term musculoskeletal implies muscle and, and bone, and of course, we can see the surface of bone. Now neuromuscular is now bringing peripheral nerve in with muscle. Do you think we should combine the three and call it neuromusculoskeletal or NMS?
3: That's, I'm okay with that. A, well, how about skeletal
4: we're, neuromuscular I, SM? and That's not bad either.
2: We're going to veto that one. We're going to so. that one. And
3: we can, we can put you as the, uh, the godfather of s <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Kiss my ring. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll throw you a fist, but it's, it's COVID right now. <laughs> we're, we're staying away from the kissing. So.
4: But, but I agree with your comments that peripheral nerve ultrasound – we're just coming to form of understanding what we can see and how that complements the the physiologic image studying. That, yeah, that's a great point yeah
3: and there's even you know some of these instruments and some of the what was primarily EMG or you know, electrophysiology vendors are now creating things that will quantify muscle architecture and things like myopathies, muscle diseases, things that we really didn't have a, a great way to, to do, standardize that now that, that's their interest in, and we're getting, getting great instrumentation for that. So that's a really neat thing in the horizon, I think.
4: So could I go off script for a few more questions? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I just had a couple of questions. It's it just lets the audience get to know um, a person better, and I have four questions for you, Jeff. My gosh! Okay. Are you ready? So they're short questions. You just have to pick one of the two choices. The first question. These are all A
3: and B questions, like maybe, or is it A, B, or or D, C, no. both, or
2: or is it true or false?
4: I, I want to give you bad. a choice, and you pick one of each. Okay. I got four. So here's the first question: PC or Mac. A Mac, by far. That's not even a... Next question. Nike or Adidas? You, I'm know,
3: go- you know, Nike's been kind of struggling lately, but I've been a Nike person for years, so... Because I know that you've been running your whole life. I have. And I know you probably
4: were in the era where Adidas, the triple stripe versus the swoosh, was back there maybe when you are in high school. That's yeah. why I wondered yeah. if you historically had picked one of those two.
3: I actually, so when I was about 12 years old, I won an age group road race. And they gave me, my my award was a Nike t-shirt and no one had even heard of Nike. Okay. Now, you know, I, I grew up in an Amish town, so that's, you know, we we're a little behind. It explains the hat that you wore on the way in today too. <laughs> Correct. And, and, and it was nice. It was nice. It was nice. So, but it was cursive Nike, and and everybody thought it said Mike, and I constantly had people <laughs> like your name's not Mike, and and wow, you. So, are... so I've been kind of I, I used it. Yeah. It was to me that was a a nice image thing. I wanted nobody to really know what my shirt said or what it meant, and that felt good. So I've latched on to Nike kind of my whole career. We when we, I started, I, I ran in Indiana, and our first year we were sponsored by Adidas, and and we didn't have the best. Spikes, we'll put it that way, and then the next year we got some nicer ones with Nike. We switched, so
4: I could see being at the really cutting edge front edge
3: of the the Nike explosion. Mm-hmm. That you might it's trend, a trend that. Yeah. 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 yeah, so it's but it's <laughs> lately Nike's been taking a beating in the press. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, just do it, right? Yeah. Okay, third of four questions. DC versus Marvel. Marvel, that's not even close. I mean, do you, do you want do you want entertainment or do you want to be depressed and bored?
2: <laughs> <laughs> How much weight is time this going to be in
3: big trouble? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. Doing- Although the Batman series is pretty good, the Christian okay. Bale Batman. Okay. But I'm pretty much a Marvel person. <laughs> okay. Last question. Original or extra crispy? You know, that depends on the day. <laughs> I, you gotta be one. I usually, honestly, I, I usually get a, a mixture. Both answers. I, I'm kind of wishy washy. So that ends the segment of Get know to Know Jeff Strakowski.
4: We now know more about him than you, you we ever needed wanted to, know. to or <laughs> still want to. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Jeff, for letting <laughs> me drill into your personal life.
2: <laughs> You're gonna do the same, right?
3: Uh, um, mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all the time we have. <laughs> So, John, what, what's your favorite color? Red. Red? Oh, wow. And that's all the time I have. Again, I don't think I'll delve into that.
4: My,
1: my watch died, so I don't know. We're time. So, that, I'll leave that one up to you.
4: <laughs> so, right. I think we've covered our topics. Uh, anything yeah. else that we would like to discuss before yeah. we sign off?
1: Anything you want to talk about?
2: You got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, it's been very in wait, my wait, Have you discovered a favorite place to eat in Cincinnati since you just relocated there?
4: Well, there's a, there's a restaurant a block from my apartment called Crown Republic. But there are many great restaurants. There's Taste of Belgium has great waffles and chicken. Uh, there's the Eagle that has uh, these great... Hot dogs. There's one called the Lindsay Lohan because it's a mess. Uh, it's just there's. I've only been in Cincinnati for nine days, so I've only been to nine
3: restaurants.
2: There you go. There you go. you got to check out Montgomery Inn.
3: I uh, I gave Nathan a choice of any place he wanted to go for lunch, and we ended up at Subway. So
2: <laughs> they might wow. have one of those
4: in Cincinnati. I, I think.
2: Yeah. Let's clarify, Nathan. Is his college age son. Right. So yeah. we'll take that there. with a grain of salt. <laughs> Going back to school after
4: COVID. <laughs> but and I've and heard about Montgomery Inn and, <laughs> and their barbecue sauce. Oh my. Uh, so I've heard about that from many people already. Oh, yes. it's quite good. It's in Columbus, yeah. too. But I have to admit, my favorite restaurant is Grader's Ice Cream.
2: Yes. So there's three things in Cincinnati. Grader's, Skyline, Montgomery Inn. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah. Which
3: are all also in Columbus, by the way, and BW3s. All right. Well, it's an
2: awesome
3: thing here in St. Jeff, you're
4: only but, an hour and a half from me, so <laughs> yeah. we, maybe I'll come by and visit and have a subway there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we have a BW3s we and can we meet have
4: a Skyline. At the outlet
3: malls, they're like 45 minutes each.
2: <laughs> well, you all,
1: you both have been coming to St. Petersburg for many years and working with us here at Gulf Coast, and so you've had an opportunity to check out a lot of restaurants and, yeah. and so forth here. So, what, what's your favorite restaurants here?
3: Where did we go last night? We went to Dock 4's, yeah, right? That was on pretty good. the
1: waterfront. And you can see it right from here.
3: Yeah. That was that was pretty killer.
4: My favorite is the one that I can see out the window here, where the sign has part fish, part cow on it. What is that? Uh, still still water. water. Still water. Yeah, they have great craft cocktails, if you're into that. Um, and their food I thought was excellent. Uh, yeah. so there are many great restaurants but that was that's been my favorite one lately yeah.
2: and then of course we have the ale and the witch
4: so i want uh, to during covid would
2: we get nachos and cheese right? put on their menu
4: yes so the ale and the witch which is downstairs has great craft beer and they donated this because they felt they felt sorry for us so they brought
2: it. <laughs> you know how hard we're working
4: so thank you ale and the witch yes. Yes. absolutely
1: well thank you guys so much i think we're coming to a close on our our time allocated. So we really appreciate you all joining us today for our open mic after hours session here. Yes, thank and, you guys so much uh, also for all of your help and your wonderful teaching at our our MSK courses and peripheral nerve programs that we have here. So well, we
3: appreciate the invitation. So yeah. Yeah, love awesome. coming here. Thanks. Yeah. Yep, well, pleasure. Well, We've got program. two
2: more days. So yeah. we're looking forward
3: we, we do a lot of courses all around the country and and beyond. And this is the one place I go and I think John feels the same way where we don't have to worry about anything. It's all set for us. We just show up and yeah, teach and we to yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, but we do appreciate that. A well-run course uh, makes the biggest difference in the world.
1: Awesome! Yeah. Thank does. you so much. We appreciate that.
4: Yep. Okay. Thanks, everyone. All
1: right,
3: thanks, Bye, everybody. Thanks All right, for nice you, everybody. See you next time.
1: Yep.
4: We're Have great,
3: a great day. We're gonna start doing these weekly.
1: <laughs> Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Sonography Lounge and Twitter at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan.